0: A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. The Hargan women seem to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing.
1: But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this
0: is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Due to the graphic nature of this episode, listener discretion is advised. This episode contains discussions of suicide and self-harm that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. In the year leading up to the 2020 election, we're counting down the biggest scandals in American political history. This is number 24— The story of the rise, fall, and tragic death of Pennsylvania State Treasurer Robert Bud Dwyer.
0: Hershey, Pennsylvania, was snowy and frigid on January 22, 1987. Still, bright and early, 47-year-old State Treasurer Bud Dwyer said goodbye to his wife Joanne and daughter Diane, who everyone called Dee Dee. His son Rob was giving him a ride to his office at the Pennsylvania Capitol building in Harrisburg. As they pulled up, he urged Rob to go straight home after his college classes. Don't hang around.
1: At his office, Dwyer finished preparing for the press conference he'd scheduled, albeit against the advice of his closest aides. Though he'd been the state treasurer for over six years, the last two and a half of them were spent embroiled in scandal. Everyone, including his family, colleagues, the public, and the press, believed the briefing was just a formality, a chance for Dwyer to speak his mind before resigning from his position with some remaining dignity.
0: At 10.30 a.m. before a room full of reporters, Dwyer began reading a prepared speech. His tone was somber, and he reiterated that he felt he'd been set up. He wasn't guilty of any of the charges against him, the flawed U.S. justice system had failed him.
1: With that, Dwyer finally turned to the last page of his speech. Everyone expected him to announce his resignation and let them all get on with their days.
0: Yet instead, Dwyer handed three white envelopes to three trusted colleagues. Then he reached for his briefcase and produced a Smith & Wesson revolver. He held it up for all to see, then flipped the barrel towards himself.
1: Welcome to Political Scandals, a Parcast Original. I'm Richard. And I'm Kate. You can find all episodes of Political Scandals and all other Parcast Originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Political Scandals for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Political Scandals in the search bar.
0: At ParCast, we are grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network.
1: Today we're covering the financial saga that took down Pennsylvania State Treasurer Bud Dwyer and the ongoing debate about his innocence or lack thereof. We'll then look at the events of January 22, 1987, when Dwyer took his own life during a press conference and the lasting impact of that harrowing day.
0: Richard Bud Dwyer grew up in Blooming Valley, a small Pennsylvania town 90 miles north of Pittsburgh. After a happy childhood, Dwyer grew into a sharp student and chose to study political science and economics in college. He later earned his master's degree in education. It was through teaching that he met his future wife, Joanne, at Cambridge Springs High School.
1: Just months before their wedding, an opportunity in the summer of 1963 solidified Dwyer's interest in politics. He went to Poland as part of a community ambassador exchange program.
0: While 23-year-old Dwyer had always been a proud American, experiencing a communist country firsthand further deepened his love of democracy. In fact, it made him want to join the government. When Dwyer returned home in August, 1963, he announced he intended to run for political office. His soon-to-be wife was surprised, but still nonetheless happy to support his dream.
1: Dwyer set his sights on the Pennsylvania House of Representatives. As luck would have it, in 1964, two legislative districts had been merged into one, which pitted two incumbents against each other. The vote was likely to split, creating an opportunity for someone new to take the election instead. So Dwyer threw his hat in the ring.
0: But it wouldn't be easy. With little money and no experience or political connections— Dwyer turned to the one thing he did have, friends. He implored his fellow educator, Fred McKillop, to become his campaign manager. When McKillop protested that he wasn't qualified, Dwyer just smiled and handed him a book on the subject.
1: From there, the two men mounted a grassroots campaign to win Dwyer a Republican seat in the Pennsylvania House of Representatives. Tirelessly, they knocked on doors and traveled to county fairs, talking with constituents. The opportunity for Pennsylvanians to see Dwyer's gregarious, friendly manner in person won them over.
0: When Election Day rolled around, he won.
1: Dwyer's hands-on approach made him popular with his constituents. He'd take calls from those in his district, listening to their concerns, and follow up, even if it wasn't a government matter. Dwyer was even known to call the bank on behalf of constituents who were struggling and late on their mortgage.
0: And with his equally gregarious wife Joanne by his side at political events, Dwyer easily won the favor of his colleagues. Among Dwyer's many friends and allies was a rising political star and the future governor of Pennsylvania, Richard Thornburg, known simply as Dick.
1: With widespread support, Dwyer was re-elected twice to the Pennsylvania House of Representatives. By 1971, he was elected to the state Senate, and in January 1981, he moved up again, being sworn in as state treasurer.
0: 41-year-old Dwyer took to his new position with zeal. He computerized Pennsylvania's antiquated accounting system in order to save the state time and money. He also embarked on a crusade to cut wasteful government spending. The public was encouraged to file reports by calling his line phone number. And Dwyer encouraged his own employees to review all government staff expenses carefully for errors or inappropriate charges.
1: Yet many believe those instructions factored into his eventual undoing.
0: It all began with what seemed to be a simple mistake. In 1983, he discovered that from 1979 to 1981, state school employees were taxed incorrectly on their sick days. Though it happened before Dwyer was treasurer and there appeared to be no malicious intent, it was his problem now. The rogue error resulted in 200,000 school employees overpaying an estimated $40 million in federal Social Security taxes, and they were all entitled to refunds.
1: The problem was that to recover these overpayments for the teachers, coaches, lunch ladies, and librarians of Pennsylvania, an accounting firm needed to be hired to determine each refund and to follow up with employees on repayment. Such specialized work was a monumental task, and Pennsylvania expected to pay millions of dollars to the firm selected.
0: Typically, government contracts are assigned through a bidding process. Several different companies propose why they would be the best for a job, and the government evaluates each bidder. But this route can be unnecessarily drawn out, taking years to complete.
1: In order to get refunds to the hardworking school staffs faster, Pennsylvania decided to bypass the standard bidding process and award a no-bid contract. While this was less common, it was still perfectly legal. And it was no surprise then that Pennsylvania's own trusted treasurer, Bud Dwyer, was put in charge of making the decision.
0: Accounting firms nationwide began strategizing how to get Dwyer's attention. Amongst them were Pennsylvania-based Arthur Young & Associates and the California-based Computer Technology Associates, or CTA for short. And while some, including Arthur Young, took the more traditional approach of calling the state treasury to request a meeting with Dwyer, CTA resorted to more aggressive measures.
1: CTA was owned by 47-year-old John Torquato Jr., a born and bred Pennsylvanian. His father, John Sr., was a Democratic chairman of Cambria County, Pennsylvania. The shorthand of his long legacy was that in 1978, John Sr. was convicted of federal bribery, extortion, and conspiracy. According to those who knew the younger Torquato, operating outside of the law, was a family tradition.
0: Throughout 1983, Torquato Jr. enlisted the help of his lawyer, friend, and business associate William T. Smith to secure various government contracts. Smith was co-chairman of the Dauphin County, Pennsylvania Republican Party. He had sway.
1: So when Torquato learned that Bud Dwyer, who was also a friend of Smith's, had the power to award the lucrative accounting contract, Torquato Jr. turned to Smith looking for a friendly introduction.
0: According to Smith, Torquato Jr. approached him and suggested that they offer Dwyer a $300,000 bribe. It could be distributed between Dwyer, Dwyer's campaign committee, and the Republican State Committee, which was run by Robert Asher. Smith claimed he told Torquato Jr. that a bribe wouldn't be necessary. They could simply pitch CTA's technology and experience to Dwyer. He'd give them fair consideration. But Torquato Jr. insisted. He didn't want to take any chances.
1: Smith also alleged that when Chairman Asher was consulted about the idea of bribing Dwyer, He suggested all of the $300,000 should be funneled through the Republican State Committee to keep Dwyer insulated from the crime.
0: While the intensity surrounding the tax recovery contract grew, it was by no means Bud Dwyer's sole focus. In fact, he had plenty of other work to do.
1: Focused on his no-government-waste campaign, Dwyer's department continued to comb expense reports for inappropriate spending. And in February 1984, a suspicious charge was discovered on an expense report of Dwyer's old friend, Dick Thornburg. By that time, Dick had been the governor of Pennsylvania for five years.
0: As far as fudging reporting goes, Thornburg was wildly unimaginative. On a government trip to Europe, the governor brought his wife Ginny along, including the cost of her round-trip plane ticket on his expense report. Whether Ginny's ticket was included accidentally or not, the expense was not appropriate.
1: Which put Dwyer in quite an uncomfortable position. He and Thornburg had remained friends and allies over the years. As governor, Thornburg wielded a considerable amount of political power. Some might say he deserved certain privileges. As state treasurer, Dwyer could make the decision to look the other way.
0: But Dwyer felt an obligation to hold all levels of government to the same standards. Letting his friend's improper expense slide, even if it was unintentional, made Dwyer no better than those who intentionally cheated the government. So he instructed his staff to deny the expense, an act that in itself should have been inconsequential.
1: Unfortunately for Governor Thornburg, the story was immediately leaked to the press. It became a textbook example of the wasteful spending Dwyer was crusading against.
0: While Dwyer denied leaking the story, Thornburg never forgave him for the embarrassing and damaging press. And regardless of how the story got out, Dwyer lost a valuable political ally that day.
1: But Dwyer didn't dwell on the dust-up. He had plenty of work to do, so he doubled down and turned his attention to the tax recovery contract. And on May 10, 1984, he surprised many Pennsylvanians when he selected CTA for the job.
0: Up next, CTA inks the government contract, but at a very high price tag. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the Launch Your Online Shop stage, all the way to the We Just Hit a Million Orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Looking to instantly upgrade
1: your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. Now back to the story.
0: On May 10th, 1984, Pennsylvania State Treasurer Bud Dwyer awarded a small California-based firm called CTA a multi-million dollar government contract. They were tasked with determining the federal refunds owed to over 200,000 state school employees. But CTA would never even get that far.
1: That's because Dwyer's estranged political ally, Pennsylvania Governor Dick Thornburg, received an anonymous memo alleging that bribery had taken place. Bud Dwyer topped the list as one of the individuals who'd allegedly received a bribe. Thornburg wasted no time reporting the memo. Any information pertaining to the contract was then added to an already open investigation of John Torquato Jr., the head of CTA.
0: Federal prosecutors were already investigating allegations that Torquato had paid officials in Pittsburgh and Allegheny counties for similar contracts.
1: It's unclear whether Dwyer knew anything about this, or if he even accepted the bribe from Torquato. We'll get to those questions in a moment. But as a career politician, he knew he needed to distance himself from Torquato immediately. On July 11, 1984, he rescinded the contract and cut ties with CTA. But it was too late to avoid scandal. Dwyer, Torquato, William Smith, and Republican State Committee Chairman Robert Asher were already under investigation.
0: Eventually, the Feds indicted all four men on various charges. Some were tried and convicted, others finagled plea deals, and unfortunately, many of the reports they gave conflicted. One defendant, William Smith, even contradicted his own testimony.
1: As they tried to reduce their own sentences, each man turned on the others and offered his own version of events. For these reasons, we'll never know exactly who said what to whom or who was guilty or innocent. But it didn't matter. The scandal would tarnish all four of them.
0: The U.S. Attorney indicted John Torquato Jr. and William T. Smith on October 23, 1984. Torquato was tried first. Despite his reputation for being the mastermind behind several conspiracies, he initially pled not guilty to 16 charges. But on December 17th, he suddenly changed his plea. In exchange for his cooperation in the other cases, the presiding judge, Malcolm Muir, was asked to drop 15 of the charges against him.
1: Muir agreed and Torquato pled guilty to just one count of conspiracy. He was sentenced to four years in prison. In exchange, Torquato swore under oath that in March of 1984, Smith had offered Dwyer a $300,000 bribe and Dwyer had accepted.
0: Smith, on the other hand, stuck to his guns and pled not guilty. At his own trial, he testified that it was Torquato who offered Bud Dwyer the $300,000 bribe. And he emphasized that Dwyer rejected the bribe. Dwyer told the same version of events when he testified at Smith's trial. Nevertheless, Smith was found guilty of multiple charges and
1: sentenced to 12 years in jail.
0: Oddly, while Torquato and Smith were behind bars, things were looking less bleak for Bud Dwyer. Amid the investigation, he won re-election as treasurer in November 1984. It was an encouraging sign that his constituents believed in his innocence. Throughout 1985, the story drifted in and out of the news. But there wasn't much he could do but wait. So, the affable politician and loving family man carried on.
1: Until May 13, 1986, when he and Robert Asher were served indictments.
0: In reply, Dwyer denied any wrongdoing and maintained his innocence, even though the evidence against him was damning.
1: The FBI had seized a coded computer tape from CTA's office in July 1984. It indicated that Dwyer was to receive a $300,000 payoff for awarding CTA the contract. And on top of that, Four witnesses corroborated Smith and Torquato Jr.'s statements that Dwyer was offered a bribe.
0: Whether Dwyer knew about the tape remains unknown, but he told investigators that Smith merely made a generic offer to help him with his campaign, and that the offer was made after the CTA contract was signed. He also argued that he never actually received any money, Torquato's interest in paying him a bribe was a far cry from Dwyer accepting one.
1: Still, there was mounting pushback against Dwyer. A representative of CTA's competitor, Arthur Young & Associates, stepped forward offering to testify. They claimed that their firm had submitted a proposal for the contract that was more efficient and would cost less than CTA's.
0: To this, Dwyer reaffirmed his reasons for choosing CTA. They'd promised to issue immediate credit to reimburse the school employees, which Arthur Young and Associates had not. But he sheepishly admitted he'd never asked Arthur Young to offer immediate credit.
1: This withholding of information was problematic. Hoping to avoid a risky and costly public trial, Dwyer's lawyer asked the prosecutor for a deal. Would he drop all charges if Dwyer resigned his position as state treasurer?
0: the prosecutor declined. That was too lenient. However, he did offer to let Dwyer plead guilty to a single charge of receiving a bribe, which had a maximum sentence of five years in exchange for his resignation and his cooperation with the government's case.
1: This miffed Dwyer, who hadn't asked his attorney to seek a deal in the first place. He insisted he wouldn't admit guilt for something he did not do. So Dwyer put his faith in the U.S. justice system, ready to spend every penny he had to prove his innocence.
0: On November 5, 1986, the case went to trial. The proceedings were held in Williamsport, a smaller town meant to ensure juror neutrality. But the change of venue also meant the notoriously tough judge Malcolm Muir would preside over the case.
1: Among the prosecution's witnesses was William Smith, who agreed to testify against Dwyer in the hopes his 12-year sentence would be reduced.
0: Smith surprised everyone when he testified that he had perjured himself at his own trial. He revised his previous story and said that he was the one that offered Dwyer a $300,000 bribe, not Torquato, and that Dwyer had accepted. Whichever version was the truth, Smith, now a convicted felon, had confirmed that he was also a liar.
1: As for the defense's argument, Dwyer's lawyer chose not to present any witnesses. Dwyer didn't even take the stand in his own defense. His lawyer argued instead that the government's case was flimsy and not sufficient for a conviction. He and Dwyer were confident that the jury would see it their way.
0: So the revelation on December 18th was one of shock and horror for the defense. Bud Dwyer was found guilty on 11 counts of conspiracy, mail fraud, perjury, and interstate transportation in aid of racketeering. He was facing up to 55 years in prison and a $300,000 fine. His sentencing was scheduled for after the holidays on January 23rd, 1987.
1: Throughout the investigation and trial, Pennsylvanians wondered not if, but when Dwyer would resign his position as state treasurer. But they hadn't anticipated something so staunch as life in prison.
0: After this conviction, it seemed implausible that Dwyer would keep to business as usual. Bud Dwyer kept throwing curveballs, though. Hopeful that he would be acquitted on appeal, he refused to step down.
1: Pennsylvania law stated that Dwyer could not be officially removed from office until he was sentenced in January. He intended to stay on as treasurer under a leave of absence without pay while he worked to clear his name. In the interim, Deputy Treasurer Donald L. Johnson would carry out his duties.
0: Over the holidays, Dwyer continued to profess his innocence. He wrote letters to various politicians, including President Ronald Reagan, and Pennsylvania Senator Arlen Specter, asking for their support. He insisted that Governor Dick Thornburg had pushed for his conviction out of spite. Dwyer had been duped into doing business with CTA. He was simply a victim of Torquato's poor judgment and irresponsible actions. The witnesses who testified against him, including his old friend William T. Smith, had lied to save themselves. The list of excuses went on and on. But was anybody listening?
1: Prior to the CTA scandal, Christmas in Dwyer's household was happy. It was the family's favorite time of year. But the Christmas of 1986 was different.
0: The trial had taken its toll on the family. Dwyer's children, 21 year old Rob and 18 year old Dee Dee, were burdened by the knowledge that it might be their last holiday together for a very long time, if ever. Joanne tried to keep things light, but Bud was understandably anxious, exhausted, and depressed.
1: He set up a typewriter in the kitchen. Explaining that he was working on his memoir, he typed furiously for hours and kept notes in a journal. He also wrote increasingly dark letters to his sister Mary. Fearing her brother might hurt himself, but not wanting to alarm Joanne, Mary suggested to her sister-in-law that Dwyer shouldn't be left alone for any length of time.
0: Unbeknownst to Joe, one of the things worrying Dwyer most was his family's future. As predicted, his defense had been expensive. He knew they couldn't afford the lengthy appeals process he believed would confirm his innocence. And he had recently learned that if his appeals failed, his family would be denied his state pension, which had been accumulating since his early teaching days.
1: On January 15, 1987, Dwyer invited two trusted aides, Press Secretary James Duke Horshock and Deputy Treasurer Don Johnson, to his home. Dwyer wanted to set up a press conference before his sentencing the next week. The other two were both against the idea, concerned that Dwyer would use the occasion to argue his innocence and attack the departing Governor Thornburg, which would only harm his public perception.
0: But Dwyer was adamant that his intentions were genuine. Both men left the meeting believing that if Dwyer did decide to speak publicly, it would be to resign, not rant.
1: Six days later, on January 21st, Dwyer asked Horshock to set up a news conference for the next day. Horshock agreed and invited dozens of reporters to what was likely Dwyer's resignation speech.
0: Meanwhile, Bud Dwyer finished typing the statement he'd been working on for weeks.
1: Up next, Bud Dwyer stands before the media, and the day takes an unforgettable turn.
0: Now, back to the story.
1: After state treasurer Bud Dwyer's conviction in December of 1986, any remaining sense of normalcy for the Dwyer family disappeared. And in keeping with that, the morning of January 22, 1987, wasn't like any other.
0: But at least his wife and children knew what to expect. Dwyer would get through his press conference and resign as state treasurer. Then, tomorrow, they'd face his sentencing together and depending on the outcome, figure things out from there.
1: Joanne and Dee Dee hugged him goodbye that morning, and Rob fought the snowy roads to drop his dad off at work. Everyone believed they had one more day together before their lives would change forever.
0: They were right, at least partially. Their lives would change forever, but not in the way they expected.
1: The press conference commenced at 10.30 a.m. in Dwyer's office at the Pennsylvania Capitol building. Nine television cameras, four wire service photographers, and approximately 20 reporters crowded the room. The furniture had been arranged to put distance between Dwyer and his audience and make it difficult for them to reach him. This seemed odd to some, but Dwyer was a born showman with a flair for the dramatic, so nobody thought much of it.
0: Dwyer started the proceedings on time. He spent the first 30 minutes reading a statement that had not been distributed to his staffers or the press. Among his complaints were that Governor Thornburg, acting US Attorney James West, and Judge Malcolm Muir had all aided in ruining his life. He believed his trial had been moved to Williamsport with malicious intent to convict him more easily.
1: As the defensive, angry speech dragged on, Press Secretary Horschach considered putting a stop to it. Ultimately, he decided against it. He would let Dwyer speak his piece.
0: When Dwyer reached the final page of his statement, he paused. He stated that he didn't have enough copies of the speech for everyone, but Horschach could distribute them later. Everyone in attendance anticipated that this was the moment when he would finally, officially resign.
1: Instead, Dwyer went on to reiterate his innocence one last time, and he asked that those people who believed in him extend their friendship and prayers to his family. He hoped there was still a possibility that a true justice system would someday clear his name.
0: With that, Dwyer stopped short with just a paragraph of his statement left. He distributed sealed envelopes to three of his trusted aides. Inside was a strikingly somber assortment of materials. One was a letter for Pennsylvania's new governor, Bob Casey, who had taken office just two days earlier. Another held an organ donor card. The third contained suggested funeral arrangements and letters for his wife and children.
1: Dwyer then stepped back and pulled a large manila envelope out of his briefcase. From the envelope, he produced a Smith & Wesson 357 Magnum revolver.
0: The crowd of onlookers reeled. Some left in fear or to call for help. Others stayed and pleaded with Dwyer to stop. A few brave souls even tried to approach him to take the gun.
1: Showing concern for his fellow men until the end, Dwyer warned, Don't, don't, don't. This will hurt someone. Then he quickly fired one shot into his mouth and collapsed in a heap on the floor.
0: Pennsylvania Treasurer R. Bud Dwyer died instantly at 47 years old, one day before his scheduled sentencing, while still holding the office of the State Treasurer.
1: Dwyer's daughter Dee, Dee and wife Joanne were home together when they heard the news. Dee, Dee later recalled her first reaction to hearing the words, Bud Dwyer shot himself. She took it figuratively, as in, Bud Dwyer resigned, he killed his career.
0: But when her mother started crying, Dee, Dee quickly understood otherwise. Confused, she assumed it must have been an accident and was anxious to leave for the hospital. It took several moments for her to understand that her beloved father was dead.
1: Meanwhile, Rob Dwyer had obeyed his father's request to go home straight after class. As he was driving carefully in the snow, a special bulletin came on the radio. Only blocks away from home, he heard the news.
0: Some Pennsylvania TV stations aired the footage of Dwyer's suicide to their midday audiences. The line between news and gore was thin. Several stations froze the film just before the gunshot. Others showed the whole thing.
1: Even worse, the snowy conditions that day meant many school children were home on a snow day. Dozens of them saw the graphic footage on TV. This outraged parents and sparked an ongoing and understandably heated debate about balancing reporting with protecting young viewers.
0: It wasn't long before news outlets all over the world picked up the shocking story. Even Dwyer's sister Mary, who was living in Europe at the time, had to make an effort to avoid the coverage.
1: The last page of Dwyer's statement, which was not seen or heard by anyone until after his death, included a synopsis of what Dwyer believed his suicide would do. It read, Last May, I told you that after this trial, I would give you the story of the decade. To those of you who are shallow, the events of this morning will be that story. But to those of you with depth and concern, the real story will be what I hope and pray results from this morning, the development of a true justice system in the United States. Please tell my story on every radio and television station and in every newspaper and magazine in the United States. Please make sure that the sacrifice of my life is not in vain."
0: Unfortunately, Dwyer's intended message was lost in the horror of the event. His actions were primarily reported on in the context of the bribery scandal. Few people, other than his family and close friends, paid much attention to his plea for justice.
1: But while Dwyer's final act may not have had the impact he desired, the timing certainly did.
0: One reason Dwyer held on to his position as state treasurer for so long was that he hated the idea of Governor Dick Thornburg having the pleasure of replacing him. Their sour relationship limped on until Dwyer's passing. But Thornburg was finally out of office. Two days earlier, on January 20th, Democrat Bob Casey had been sworn in as the new governor of Pennsylvania. The responsibility to replace Dwyer would be his.
1: Even more important than denying Thornburg the opportunity to replace him was providing for his family. Once Dwyer was sentenced, state law would have prohibited Joanne from collecting his state-provided pension benefits. But because Dwyer died while still in office, his widow was entitled to his full survivor benefits, which totaled over $1.2 million. Friends and family have confirmed their belief that the timing of his suicide was motivated by the overwhelming desire to make sure Joanne was financially stable.
0: On Monday, January 26, 1987, Hundreds of mourners attended Bud Dwyer's funeral at the First Baptist Church in Meadville, Pennsylvania. Heartfelt eulogies by his wife, friends, and the Reverend all proclaimed his innocence.
1: While the graveside burial was kept private, constituents lined the snow-packed route from the church to the cemetery, waving American flags to show the family
0: their support. In the following weeks, Dwyer's lawyers filled an unsuccessful appeal. In 1993, a retrial request was made in an effort to finally clear his name, but it was denied too.
1: The National Association of State Treasurers requested that the Justice Department investigate the allegations Dwyer made against the governor and the prosecutors in his final press conference. The Justice Department investigated but they eventually dismissed Dwyer's claims and cleared everyone involved of wrongdoing.
0: But those who believed in Dwyer never gave up, and many who were impacted by his gruesome suicide at a young age grew up curious about the case. One of those young people was filmmaker James Dershberger, who co-wrote and directed the 2010 documentary, Honest Man, The Life of R. Bud Dwyer.
1: The film, which was six years in the making, included interviews with Dwyer's sister Mary, wife Joanne, and children Rob and Dee Dee. In it, friends and colleagues vehemently expressed their belief that Dwyer had been wrongly accused. One former colleague said Dwyer was the most honest man he had met in government. He even resigned after Dwyer's death in solidarity.
0: And in a surprise appearance in the documentary, William Smith changed his story yet again. This time, he claimed that he had offered Dwyer the bribe, but Dwyer's acceptance was vague, implying it could have been sincere or could have been in jest.
1: Smith also said he only testified against Dwyer at his trial because John Torquato Jr. threatened to harm his son if he didn't. Smith ultimately expressed regret and blamed himself for Dwyer's downfall and death.
0: The night before the press conference, Dwyer wrote in his journal, I enjoy being with Joe so much. The next 20 years or so would have been wonderful. Tomorrow is going to be so difficult, and I hope I can go through with it.
1: Knowing that Bud Dwyer's friends and family still believe he was a victim, and that those who prosecuted him disagreed, that may be where the known truth of this scandal ends. Whatever happened, it resulted in an unnecessary tragedy.
0: Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with Scandal Number 23 boss, Tweed, the politician who, in 1877, was convicted of stealing tens of millions of dollars from New York City taxpayers. You
1: can find all episodes of Political Scandals and all other Parcast Originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite Parcast Originals for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker.
0: To stream Political Scandals on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Political Scandals in the search bar. We'll see you next time.
1: Political Scandals was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Anthony Valsic, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Political Scandals was written by Alex Sloan, with writing assistance by Kate Gallagher and stars Kate Leonard and Richard Rossner.